what it's based on. I've got I've got two things that might upset you, Chris, mm-hmm. and then and and then something that might not upset you. Okay. So so here's here's two things, and I I don't know any of this, but just consider this. I think Purism have raised somewhere between nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars and a million dollars, right? That was what their crowdfunder achieved. I'm going to go see if I can Google it while you while you, while you talk. I'll see. Yeah. That sounds about right. I think. Yeah, and their laptops were kind of expensive, somewhere in the fifteen hundred dollars to two thousand dollars a pop. Yeah, so the, for know, the fifteen, bracket. they raised uh, about six hundred five hundred eighty-nine thousand, and then they raised a, mm-hmm. set, a separate amount for the thirteen, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, almost. So, yeah. wow, that's yeah. a lot of money. So yeah, it is. it's a lot of money. But also, how is one person going to assemble 475,000 laptops and ship them in a timely fashion? Well, he's not going to. He has a manufacturing partner. No, no, he doesn't. Does he, heck? You think? I, I, I know this ODM. I know how, how it <laughs> works. They send him a load of parts and he has to put them together. Right. Or somebody has to put them together. <laughs> Get some so there's, there's that to consider. You know, if, even if he and just ships you the parts, that could be a whole show. You assemble the At this point, at this point I would take it. If he would just ship me the parts <laughs> at this point, I will assemble it. So here's the other thing. And again, I know nothing, but consider this. The laptop in question is a model from nearly two years ago. Yeah, right. It's a fifth gen i7. Which What Does generation the, are we on now? Six or seven? Seven. Does... Does the ODM still make those parts? Oh, I didn't even think of that. No, well, that only occurred to me earlier this evening. Anyway, those mm. are the two downers for you. Yeah, those are big ones. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're welcome. You're welcome. On the now, plus side, there's a nice photo of one in IRC. If you, want to click on it. <laughs> you know, what is that? Is that is that a Librem or what is that? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it was. It a, is, it was yeah. a result of someone asking a question on the forum. Hey, has anyone got their Librem yet? And some guy replied on the forum, uh, "Yeah, here's a photo." And it was a blank post. And I thought, "Ha, you're a funny troll." But actually, no. It was just the forum didn't work. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> the link didn't appear, and uh, he pasted it afterwards. And that is his uh, Librem. Is yeah. that his or is that a, it? Well, it also looks like it's right mm. next to another computer box, which uh, looks like it's next to an what? office desk. This is what I think. I think that might not be from an owner. Yeah. That might yeah. be a... Oh, yeah. hush now. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> I mean, maybe they just have two computers in the box right next to each other. Yeah, 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 that's it. They got two. They got two, right? Yeah. That's they, what happened. Yeah, maybe that's why I haven't got <laughs> mine. Where, what? What's... what's Big oh, orders what's first, Chris. You see, there's a box behind it there that looks like a computer yeah. box, and then you look below it, it looks, it looks like another it's, box down those, there, too. Those are two, and the other 474,997 are off in the distance. I'll tell you what my, what first, where, where, where my spider sense first started tingling was when they launched the 13 before they'd even finished committing mm-hmm. on the 15. And I thought, that's, mm. that's weird. And then there was the Rev 1, Rev 2 stuff. And that mm-hmm. felt a little weird and getting automatically upgraded mm-hmm. to Rev 2. And I didn't quite, I didn't, I was like, I just want my computer, you know. Yep. And now here I am uh, in the beginning of 2016, and I'm kind of in a really tight spot. We should do a look back where you uh, talk over your earlier review when you were excited about the purism. I wonder if I could find You can that. yell it past Chris can and anybody, tell him. Would anybody mind maybe in the chat room or somebody out there could go find a time code on YouTube of when I, when I talk about it? I would like to yeah, really see that. Uh, I bet so, you were very hopeful. Chris, <laughs> would, would, you, would you like a little bit of bit of good news. I, w- I would, very much so. <laughs> okay, okay, here we go. Right, let's just post this here, Chris. So, 
all of this jesting I've been doing with you, somebody's been listening, and I think you might know this. I think Rotner's been talking to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Entroware, who are based in the UK, have heard me winding you up. And I heard that yesterday they received the parts that they've assembled for their first US prototype. Really? Ho, ho, ho. And they're going to be sending you the Entroware Apollo Ooh, ooh. with the Intel Core i7 6500U, which is the new the new Skylake CPU, um, with a, a fully packed... Uh, system. So this is a, a, <laughs> a, a full That's ultrabook. Wow. So the so the Apollo here uh, is uh, this this is the thirteen inch one, right? Yeah. This 13. is the 3. ultrabook. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So they're going to send the i seven with uh, eight gigs of RAM, uh, spinning uh, hard drive for home, and a solid state <gasps> drive. Two drives. Nice. Uh, it comes with the Intel graphics. It's a full HD screen. And they're going to be putting this operating system called Ubuntu Mate on it. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, that's so, so exciting. So, But what's different here is obviously Entroware have been focused on the UK. Yeah. Um, and so what they've done here is they've actually, this is like a, an experiment for them. So they're putting together their first, um, their first, uh, US spec laptop. So this has got a custom chassis and it's got the US keyboard and it's sure, yeah. US power and all the rest of it, which is the the first time they've done this. And when oh. they've uh, when it's gone through their um, QA process, because they they put it through a sort of a build and burn uh, exercise, they'll be they'll be shipping that to you for for you to have. That is going to be. I can't wait. I'm definitely oh, gonna, definitely going to be talking about that when I get it. That'll be really cool. Oh wow! You know, and wouldn't it be ironic if the uh, if the other one showed up around yep. then? <laughs> no, no, wouldn't it be good? Because yeah, I in so. effect, so this this Apollo, so this is the Apollo two thousand. Uh, I have their previous model, which is the Apollo one thousand, which is the same platform as the Librem thirteen, and this Apollo two thousand is the next generation device. So mm. there's a whole load of um, you know feature uplift. So it's got backlit keyboard and it's got Bluetooth four and the touchpads in. This is going to be an epic machine to run. Skylake. This is going to be a great sixteen oh four machine when it comes out too. This is yeah. going to be great for that. Yep. Plus, I haven't even tried running Linux on a Skylake machine yet. I haven't either. I want to. I want to test it uh, out. I've got. I've got one. Yeah, runs good. Ha! So uh, that's exciting news. I can't wait to see it. And of course, you guys will hear more about it when I get it and I put it through its paces. Ooh, that'll be exciting. Ooh. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 131 for February 9th, 2016. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that barely survived weaponized Panda Express. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. <laughs> hey there, Wes. Guess what? I'm all back. I'm a member of the human race. I'm glad you're feeling better. I, I, you know, it was almost, it's almost worth the troll of Noah to get so sick. I thought about bringing some over on my way. That would have been mean, but yet hilarious. Short version, Chris got really sick. That's what I'm calling myself, Chris, now. Yep. Got really sick uh, after eating Panda Express and Link's Action Show this Sunday. I am now back 100%, I believe. 
Maybe 110%. Maybe. For a great show of Linux Unplugged coming up in this episode of 131. Something to compete with Unity and maybe Unreal's uh, uh, engine. Something to bring Linux games to the masses, connected to the cloud, and integrating with Twitch. Amazon's got a new project to make cross-gaming plat- platforming easy. Like, you know, all the scores, stat stuff, and to publish the game on Linux. Like, they got a whole new thing they just announced today. We'll talk about that. Also, some interesting work happening on in Wayland to make it maybe a little more competitive with X in one unique way. Also, we'll talk about something you should be using on your Linux box if you haven't tried it already. A group that promises to compete with Ubuntu's Convergence. What? That's right. The folks over at Corora have something new for you to check out. We'll talk about that new Ubuntu tablet also getting full GPU acceleration, or at least as close to it as you can, in your VM coming from the Linux kernel. And last but not least... Streamio? What the heck is it? And how long is it actually going to be around? Grab it for your Linux box while you still can. We'll be talking about that in today's episode of Linux Unplugged as well. we got a lot of stuff to cover, so let's bring in that virtual lug. Time-appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello. 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 Okay. There. You guys can't Hello. see it, but I did salute you. I, I saluted the Mumble Room, didn't yes, I? Yes, you did. I did. I did. We I, both did. I, I did. So good morning and good afternoon and good evening, everybody. Time-appropriate greetings. Let's talk about Lumberyard. Lumberyard, uh, Lumberyard plus Amazon GameLift plus Twitch is games for Amazon Web Services. It is um, Unity meets Amazon. You're probably familiar with Unity, the game engine. Yes. Uh, a game engine and development environment designed for professional developers, a blend of new and proven technologies from CryEngine, Double Helix, and AWS. They're really pushing the AWS aspect yes, they of are. this. <laughs> yeah. A Lumberyard simplifies and streamlines game development. As a game engine, it supports development of cloud-connected and standalone 3D games with support for asset management, character creation, AI physics, audio, and more. On the development side, the Lumberyard IDE allows you to design indoor and outdoor environments starting from a blank canvas. Now, I don't know if they're actually going to make the IDE available for Linux, but... Oh, that'll be a good question. The Twitch integration is interesting. The GameLift integration is interesting. And obviously, the AWS integration, guess what? Interesting. But what I think is actually the sort of important bullet point in this announcement is Linux support is a planned feature. It's part of their part of their deal. I don't know. Now, I don't have much more to say to that announced today. Do you have any thoughts on it? Uh, I think it's a little... I mean, it's a little... It's interesting. Uh, one thing people should note is, like, in their FAQ, can my game use an alternate web service instead of AWS? Oh, yeah. No. If your game server is using a non-AWS alternate web service, we obviously don't make any money, and it's more difficult for us to support future development. So, no. <laughs> but you can say. use your own servers. Yeah. Yes. You can use hardware you own and operate for your game. So, you have to be careful. There are some large license agreements, as with all game things. But uh, otherwise, yeah, it's interesting. Also, the aspect of, well, what kind of free is it? Came up, and it's not free as in free software. It's yeah. free as in the cost. Uh, it is proprietary. The source code is only made available in such that you can use it to work on your game, not in such that you can use it to improve, extend, and contribute. So nothing radical, kind of in line with yeah. other engines that we've yeah. seen. But it's interesting. Yeah, uh, ND, you had something you wanted to add regarding the license from Unreal. Go ahead. Right, because uh, Unreal's license actually allows you to contribute. That's why the Linux editor exists and is. Mm, stable. I wouldn't say supported. They don't admit to that, but it's stable, and there's enough community support that it's might as well be supported. Yeah, I obviously I think Unreal is sort of the one that anybody's making a serious game is going to look at. Mm-hmm. They have a very interesting way to do that. I think it's what it's free, and then if you make some money, you're going to have to give us a cut, right? 
It seems, but but when I say it's free, again, I'm talking free as in cost. Right. But you it, get to use it. You get to see the code. At but. the same time, it is a serious like this is no joke. You could make an honestly great game with this. No bar. And it obviously took a lot of development time to create that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, somebody in the mumble room was adding something. Go ahead. No, and, and you can contribute back. That's a big yes. Deal. Good yeah. point. Thank you for thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, that is that is a good point. Uh, all right, so moving real quick through a couple of things that broke uh, since Linux Action Show. Wes, if there was one feature of X11 that I wish Wayland had, I mean, I think Wayland's great. Uh, I'm excited to try Mir. Right. I'm not. I'm not like an X11 fanboy, but there is one thing that I legitimately love about X that Wayland doesn't do that I am kind of worried about. Network transparency. You got it, buddy. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the whole uh, X11 over network. Is so great. I mean, like if you're just doing SSH X1114, or if you're doing something like uh, FreeNX remote desktop, yep. or there's there is entire systems that are set up around X11. That's how they all. That's how they work. That is, yeah, yeah even internally. Right. Uh, and so this is something I'm like, oh, I'm really gonna miss this. This is really nice with Wayland because there's nothing really for this built into Wayland until now. Uh, well, we'll see. Uh, this is uh, Wayland over the wire. Uh, obviously, uh, if we intend to make Wayland a replacement for X, we need to duplicate this functionality. However, some Wayland design decisions make it difficult to implement this kind of network transparency. I didn't really know what these were in the past. I knew they existed, but mm-hmm. I didn't really know. They hadn't been codified. Hadn't been laid out easily. Yeah. So I guess uh, file descriptor parsing is used exclusively in the protocol. For example, key maps are passed from the compositor to the client as file descriptors. The client is supposed to nmap those or map those file descriptors. It's a, it's a really complicated way of saying there's certain things like key maps that are done locally. Keyboard repeat exa- is another example of that. It's handled on the client side. So if you have a dodgy network connection, the key press packet arrives, but the key release packet is delayed, the client would start repeating keys, and it's also sluggish. Uh, buffers are shared between the client and the compositor. Somehow, they could be shared memory through uh, MMAP or DMF boof, boof, or it could be a MESA buffer or MESA buffer extension. In any event, image data is never published to the compositor through a network socket. It always takes uh, the form of some kind of handle, and the client and the server under, or the compositor in this case understand. Uh, these handles are local only and meaningless over the network completely. They don't have any kind of way to track them over the network. Uh, so they have a really fairly simplistic implementation now of Wayland over network transparency. And the way they've solved this, and they're calling it Wayland over the wire, uh, which essentially splits the Wayland protocol over TCP IP sockets. Since, the Wayland, since Wayland only carries handles to image data in its messages, I've added some new messages to take care of this. So a couple of things have been added. I've also taught LibWayland client about buffers, which is probably a controversial move. I've done this by adding client-side hooks to certain requests. So it does take some changes and improvements, as I'm calling them. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. it's, I mean, obviously, it's technical, technically thick stuff to understand. But essentially what he's doing here is he's adding the necessary hooks to add data to make this stuff go over the network so that when something receives it on the other end, it knows what the hell it's receiving. Um, I'm not entirely optimistic because it requires changes. Yes, and some of those changes, even by the author's admittance, controversial, right? But it's interesting. It's like first steps, right? So like hopefully this could be the building block and we can have like a, a better framework. I, I, I don't realistically see Wayland working in a lot of corporate environments without this kind of – I mean any time I've remotely administered a server, eventually in that contract or in that job, I've gotten some crappy app or something that I have to run a GUI for. 
or I'm setting something up and it only accepts local host connections and sometimes it's just easier to install Firefox and run Firefox or X1140 or something. Mm-hmm. Like it is always – I've always had a situation administering a server where eventually it was like, OK, maybe I need X for this and then I install X and I do X1140. That's come up or sometimes it's for convenience too. Yep. So not having that in Wayland, I guess what I, I, guess what I would see is people would stick around with X – that need that. Like it would, it would keep people on X longer than necessary right. if you don't have these features. Would other, that's like the last thing they need to be Wayland compliant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I find this to be completely fascinating and I, I don't actually have a lot of uh, uh, optimism. But there is already a proof of concept and a request for comments out. So oh. that's better. Of course, it requires a bunch of changes. Anybody in the mumble room have any thoughts on network, uh, like remote network desktop for Wayland? Or Mir? Is there any, any any information about Mir supporting this? I thought so. It's uh, interesting I, that it's coming from Samsung. Well, oh yeah, thank you, you know, for mentioning that. I did mean to bring that up. Yeah, that's a great point. Open source group yeah. part. But. Yeah, Samsung are the. Uh, this is coming from the Samsung open source group. So yeah, that's a great point. I have a question. Wait. Okay, question first. Go. Um, why not just use something like RDP? And what would it – it would start a Wayland session on the remote server and then do like an image capture type uh, return or how would that work exactly? Well, I know that RDP is like a standard for a remote uh, desktop operators. I don't really I, understand. Isn't it Microsoft standard I don't understand though? how that could apply to anything but Microsoft. And I know it – I think there is a way to implement there it. There is at least but, one but server. But the thing is, is it, it doesn't, it doesn't RDP integrate at the GDI drawing layer? So how can you possibly use that on Linux? I don't, I don't understand. I thought – I thought RDP specifically worked at the GDI level, which meant that one of the nice things was is instead of actually drawing images, you're actually getting GDI instructions through RDP, and that's one of the reasons why it's faster. Well, so, so yes, you're, you're absolutely right, it does. Uh, FreeRDP does this, and they're currently doing it through X, and I believe they also have it working under Wayland now, mm. and that's been their big push is to like, yeah, you can do this. Really? We currently that's have awesome. something that's working. How can but that How can not, that be? <laughs> I, to be honest, I don't know. You're right. I'm looking at it right it now. Is. There's a Weston implementation of RDP access. The per- oh, okay. This is something. Huh. It's, I think because it's one of those a really good I, way of like drawing OpenGL and DirectX over RDP. Yeah. Fascinating. So free RDP. I got to look more into this because I know I've heard it mentioned a few times. Free RDP is, is a free implementation of the remote desktop protocol released. I didn't know Microsoft released it under the Apache license. When the hell did that happen? Enjoy the freedom of using your software whenever you want. The way that is incredible. All right. Well, this is a thing I got to look into because remote desktop sucks for me right now. I've been using I'm back to using Splashtop again, which is just oh. Mm-hmm. I tried TeamViewer for a while. Yeah, well, I'm having problems. I don't think FreeRDP is Microsoft. No, no, it's, no, not. it's not. They say it's based on the RDP uh, right. uh, protocol that's been released under the Apache license. Yeah, I have a few coworkers that use this. Right, they Microsoft doesn't expect it to Windows machines, so yeah. it works well <laughs> for basically, that. They threw in a bunch of docs and said, "There, go, go, go and make your own." I'm actually. By the way, we're not doing that thing that we said we should be doing. Here's funny. I just looked this up. I just I I I previously tagged this page for me to look into in February of 2015, literally a year ago. (laughs) Damn it, damn it, Chris. You got to get to this stuff sometimes. Literally a year ago, I tagged that to follow up on. Ah, Son of a gun. It's been a busy year. Yeah, yeah. See, that's that's what's funny about me though. Is like I knew about it. Apparently, I just uh, I guess I forgot about it for a little bit. I just don't understand how it works. So I guess I I didn't follow it. But. 
Glad to see that they're looking at Wayland over the wire. I'm drinking 7-Up today to help Ooh, with my stomach. Yes, you hear the uh, You hear the sizzle? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, this is good. This is theater of the mind. Here we go. <laughs> isn't that – you know great. exactly what I'm doing there. Isn't that weird? That's great. Uh, that, that helps with the tummy I got since I was sick. All right. Uh, I want to talk about something that gets sent into the question all that was says. <laughs> Seven up yours. Very optimistic, North Ranger. Is that Chris's teeth? Everybody gets on my case. Like I never drink soda ever. And then the one or two times I mention it on air, I get, I get you're going to get diabetes. Your teeth are going to fall out of your mouth. Like it just gets it. it uh, I, there's no room for Chris. There's no room for Chris to be a human. All right. So one of the questions I get all the time for people who watch the live stream is, "What the hell are you using uh, for your shell?" And I'll, I'll tell you why. So uh, one of the things I often do on the live stream before every Linux action show, as as any professional broadcaster who's been doing this for like almost 11 years, I completely update my rolling distribution right before Naturally. I go on air. Obviously. Maybe you should update it right now. I think I will, Wes. Do it. Let me show you how I do that. Roll so, the days. Uh, I'm using here, you can see I got myself a nice terminal, and I'll start typing in my command packer, and I'm going to type in da- a tick, S-Y-U. And did you notice in a sort of a lighter gray there, dash dash no confirm came up? Yes, I do. And if I hit the over arrow, it'll automatically fill that in for me. Uh, because that's a frequent when I when I when I update my system, I frequently don't ask it to confirm me on it to confirm. <laughs> just, do it. just go right because what could go wrong? And so, uh, Fish is a shell replacement for Bash that I have been using for a couple of years. I've talked about it a few times, although I still get questions about it all the time. Uh, and it is something that auto completes and makes using the command line very simple. <laughs> Are you laughing? Are you laughing at me about fish? Look at that. The mumbrooms laughing at me. Yep. They just no, love no, fish. I mean, complete, complete agreement with fish. Yeah, fish is... It's great. And I want to make a big recommendation for fish, but something's been happening lately with fish that I think is taking to the next yeah, level. Fish is nice stuff. Yeah. What about the fishery and the fish marketplace? Now, what do we have here? We have ourselves the fishermen. A blazing fast plugin manager for fish. You download it, you get these plugins, and then you combine that, the fisherman, with the fishery. Are you following me? I am. Is this making sense? Yep. You combine the fisherman, which is a plugin manager, with the fishery, which is a plugin market for fish. Fish is the bash replacement for your shell that makes using the shell super easy and auto-completes commands you frequently use and things like that. Uh, and so some of them are just really weird plugins, but some of them are very, very useful. Uh, Wes, I don't know. Have you had a chance to look at this at all? Yeah, I've only installed a few, but man, you're, they're right. Fisherman is very fast. And I mean, one one thing about fish, right, it, is that it's a break. It's not POSIX compliant. It's a little different. A lot that, of your bashisms aren't going to work. Yes, and that does every now and then bite you. Yes, it does. Sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes there's something I've, I've used before and I'm like, well, I'll just open a bash shell and I'll run it there and I'll be done and I'll go back to fish, right? That's so that exactly works. what I do. But you get so much for free without touching a config file. You get all the history completion you get, I mean, the functions are, if you want to write, rather than an alias, you just write a function in fish, and it's really easy. They're, they're simple. I don't, I don't know. It's easy. So, Fisherman, if I, under, if I grok it, because I haven't installed it yet. Oh, you haven't tried it yet? Uh, no, no. I, it was one of those things that crossed my radar, and I was like, okay, I got to try this out. But if I understand it correctly, it's a way for you to go pull in some of these plugins right into fish, right? Exactly. It's a little helper tool. And so, is, what's the discovery like when you're on the command line? Do you, do you can you do a search yeah. or? And then once you find it, you get the name, and it's just like it's like installing a package. Exactly, that is super cool. You can, I believe you can also look on on the GitHub. Hmm. So they have a. Uh, it's free. Uh, this plugin. So this plugin system is taking your your shell 
and and giving it like extended features that you can sort of just like like a browser has extensions or something else. I mean, this is yeah, like the same model. You know, so many other applications already use could be horrible, and there is tons of use cases where you wouldn't need something like that. Yep, and. As always, there's lots of places where it's like, well, you're on a million different machines, right? You don't get to install Fish on all of them. So for some people, there's no use case. But if you maintain a small set of your own servers and you want something that really you can mold to yourself or it's already just easy to deploy and it works great. Yeah. So check out the fisherman and the fishery. And then one of the most common questions I get is, what what shell are you using? Uh, And I think it's because people see me typing on the live stream. When I'm before the show, and like it, they see me, like it complete. I love it because when I am on the live stream, and I want to, a lot of times, like for example, Noah will mention a package, uh, like Variety, which is the the background mm-hmm. manager. Yep. And while he's talking about it, I'm like, well, that sounds pretty cool. I want to go install that. And the thing is, is I I literally want to install it while I'm hosting a show, which is ridiculous. And it means that you have like three seconds to get the job done before you're going to be asked a question or I have to switch a camera or, you know, something like that, right? So like the it's fact a tight that, timeline. Yeah, it's tight. And so the fact that the fish there, I type in PA and Packer-S is completed. I hit over arrow. Then I type the package name. And then it is, do you want to do no, no, confirm? I'm like, dash, dash, no, confirm. I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. Of course I do. Boom, I'm done. I'm like, yeah, I got the package installed. And it learns based on the directory you're in as well, which yeah. is great. That is really slick and something that it took me a long time to even realize because I do different things like in my downloads directory than I do, say, my bin directory. Exactly. And I love that aspect of it. It's just – it's like it's, – it is the best kind of technology assist where it's not – it doesn't autocomplete in a way like Google search does where sometimes Google sends me off on the completely wrong search because at the last second it suggests something and then yeah. I search and for the wrong all, thing. The thing you were about to click yeah. is gone. Yes. Ugh. That drives me crazy, right? Fish never does that because it never automatically inserts the. It just puts it there in a in a, a quiet sli- little suggestion. Yeah, like a grayed out suggestion, just like, "Hey, bro, you might want to try this. You want to save some been time." Doing that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. So there you go. Uh, Fisherman and the fishery will have links to both of those. Fisherman is the plugin manager, and fishery is this all? Are there only is there only a few pages worth of plugins right now? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. All right. Well, people got to get mm-hmm. that. What? What? Wimpy? Uh oh. No, it's quite a lot. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. There's there's a couple of dozen. Couple oh, yeah, dozen yeah. Okay. Plugins. And, and are we you can make using more, this? guys. Wimpy, are you using this? Whilst you were talking, I did what you do on a show, which is I installed just installed it right now. And what are your first impressions? There's lots of cool stuff in here yeah. that I'm going to start using. Yeah, I like like this. I uh, mean, the, the, like the Git Aware stuff is going to be super useful yeah. at work. Yeah. And uh, open a new terminal in a tab, you know, from within the shell. That's that is really nice. Yes. Okay, that one, that one right there just got me. That wow, that it. That I did not see that one before. That's really nice. Hmm. So there you go. Uh, I think. I mean, West points out. I've even had a couple of. Uh, I can't remember. I think I've had some package installations break. Maybe they were running a script or something like that mm-hmm. when I used Fish, and I had to. Uh, but you know, all you did just run Bash. Yep. And and more people are like more things have support. Like I know, like uh, if you use Python, you use like virtual environments. Mm-hmm. They have a fish specific script that compensates for the bash one that you normally something use. something to watch out for, though. Yes. Yeah. All right, Mumbo. Any other thoughts on fish or the plugins before we uh, move right along? Okay, good. Because I think we're all going to have something to say about this next topic. Ooh. Who found this? Was it Rikai that found this? I believe this? so. I, I don't know how this totally missed my radar. This is like this is like uh, this is my beat. This is my beat. And Rikai, you know, it's that damn beard of his. Uh, he just catches interesting news bits inside of it. Maru. Maru. Unleash your phone. 
Unleash your phone. The beta is now available on the Nexus 5. Maru pitches itself as a new kind of computing experience. It gives you a single, context-aware device that makes personal computing really simple. And guess what? That device is your smartphone. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Maru, based on Debian, promises to bring us full convergence, something we've heard a lot of recently. Uh, and so we have some reactions. We've done some reading up about this. We're going to tell you about that. Uh, first, I'm going to tell you about our friends at DigitalOcean. Go to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code D-O-Unplugged. That gives you a $10 credit and supports the show. Let's them know you appreciate them supporting us, letting us stay on the air, maybe doing another couple of episodes for you. Use that promo code D-O-Unplugged. One word lowercase. DigitalOcean. My Linux infrastructure on demand. It, when I was testing uh, Rocket Chat and Mattermost, it was a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer to go set up on DigitalOcean. First of all, the pricing is really straightforward. Yep. It's the, the rig I got is uh, six cents an hour, and if I decide to keep it, then it's just going to be like forty bucks a month for like, an un- unbelievable machine. But the pricing is, it starts at five dollars a month. At five dollars a month, you can get five hundred twelve megabytes of RAM, a twenty gigabyte SSD, a blazing fast CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And they've got data center locations everywhere. I mean, New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, Toronto. Nice data centers, super fast rigs, 40 gigabit e-connections. I really love it. They have the best interface in the biz. It makes it very intuitive, so simple. It, it, it really is sort of mind-blowing. I've, I talked about this recently, but one of the things I used was the uh, Ubuntu 14.04 Docker Nginx ready-to-go image. Yep. Just makes it really quick to try something like Rocket Chat. Um, and deploy that in no time. I mean, I mean, I, I on DigitalOcean... I could set up a Mattermost. See, this – when I was talking about Mattermost, one of the things I was talking about was the big thing for me with Mattermost versus Slack or Rocket Chat versus Slack is mm-hmm. it takes me 30 seconds to go set up a Slack team account yep. and then invite people to Slack. You're just rolling. And when you go roll your own solution, which is obviously the better better solution because then you have complete ownership over it, complete control of, of, of your data yep. and the direction of it and all that stuff. Like there's so many reasons why you'd want to self-host. But the time barrier when you're really busy going from 30 seconds to a couple of hours is just it's, – it's, That's huge. It's huge. It's enough to make you go a slack. On this setup with DigitalOcean, Rocket Chat, you go deploy the Ubuntu 14.04 image with Docker and Nginx. And then you don't even need Nginx really. You go deploy it with Docker and then you, you go do Docker – you go do Docker run and you do the Rocket Chat image. And literally 30 seconds after you have this rig set up on DigitalOcean, which takes you less than 55 seconds <laughs> – You've got Rocket Chat, a complete Slack replacement. And uh, the, the reason I think that's a, a good point to make is I've gotten a, about a dozen emails, I've gotten a couple of tweets since Sunday's Linux Action Show from people who went with Rocket Chat and decided to host it on DigitalOcean. And they nice. were on the cusp of, of, of going with Slack, on, just on the cusp. And then when they watched, I mean, like the timing of our show was wow. killer for these people. And and they and they're like they were blown away how quick it is. Now Mattermost is the one I'm kind of leaning towards, but mm-hmm. they all went with Rocket Chat simply because they all went and deployed on DigitalOcean droplets like that. Done. Well, hopefully they'll report back and we can kind of you know yeah. have a retrospective. Yeah, look seriously. At uh, so this is really something to consider: is when you take down the barrier of entry of getting a Linux rig that's really set up, ready to go, that just uses upstream stuff. It's not like some custom setup that's using some weird control panel. You know, it's it's just vanilla Linux, really fast. And, and incredibly well-priced, you got to check it out. You can go deploy anything from OwnCloud and Minecraft or Mumble, SyncThing, BitTorrent Sync, 
I love it. And now things like Rocket Chat and Mattermost too. Or you can go build an entire backend stack for something you're building, from production to testing too. Yep. I just installed FreeSwitch on a DigitalOcean droplet. Really? And one of the great things with Free, with the DO, right? You don't. It's not behind a firewall. There's no right. NAT. You just have a. You have your own mm-hmm. IP. It's public. So like with VoIP solutions, yeah. that's a big thing. Man, that is one of the reasons I'll go use DigitalOcean over setting up here in my house. Is that I don't have to worry. Or you don't studio. have to log into a router or a switch <sighs> or anything. No. And the nice thing is that with snapshots and backups and all that kind of stuff, I can. I know I'm protected if something goes yep. weird. And the other nice thing is it makes it really easy for other people to test on it too. You it's just hand them the IP and there they go. Do unplug? Get a ten dollar credit and try out DigitalOcean for a couple of months for free. Some Linux infrastructure on demand. Tell you what. Or they got free BSD too. But don't don't let anybody know that. Don't let that's a big secret. That's all secret. Okay. Has anybody in the mumble room heard of Maru? This just sort of caught me out of nowhere. Rikai was the one that yeah. turned me on to Okay. Who who said yes? Yes, it was me, Wizard. Okay, Wizard. Tell uh, me yes. uh Wimpy, you've heard of it too? Okay. Apparently I'm just out of it. All right. Yep. Uh, is anybody is anybody uh, comfortable enough to talk about a little bit of what their understanding of Maru is it uh I, I, and has anybody ran it? Well, I don't know if that's even a thing yet. Uh, but WW, I'd be curious to hear maybe your first reactions to it, if since you had a little familiarity with it. Uh, you mean Wizard? He's the one that's. Oh, Wizard! Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so I just kind of looked into it. It was it's kind of out of the same vein of what they were aiming for with. Uh, it was Deb. Uh, it, it, there was a there was a project a while back that got just a plain Debian install running on your phone, and. Uh, it, it was kind of out of the same vein, but they're they're kind of digging a little bit deeper than the previous ones now to the point where you can actually boot, uh, and well, not really so much boot, but you know get get something running on another screen out of this you know this your same phone that you have running. So you could have kind of in the vein that the original kind of Ubuntu Touch had, where it's like you have your phone running Android right beside it, just fine. And on your monitor beside you, you have the Maru desktop running beautifully. And you can be using both at the same time. I see. No stopping, no changing. Yeah. So they have a shared storage space between the two environments. Uh, And they they go on to say your phone does run independently of your desktop, so you can take calls. It's Um, almost like magic. Based on Debian. I'm getting... Smells a lot like... uh, Smells like a lot what Canonical's been working on for a while. Uh, only these are – they're saying they're focusing right now on the Nexus 5. You connect it to an HDMI screen. Maru automatically detects when an external display is available and then spins up your desktop. It will boot in less than five seconds. Computation is good. So what desktop is it running here on the Debian base? You know, I'm looking at that. It's got a dock and it's got – Workplace switcher up at the top right yeah, that, there. Yeah. Does it look like XFCE with a dock to you? It does to me. It does kind of, yeah. It looks like a modernized looking XFCE with a transparent panel up top. Or a fallback mode or something. I don't know. Um, obviously, the everybody's got to wonder what Poby thinks about this. Poby, what do you think about a project yeah. like this? Uh, there's uh, some level of validation that we're doing the right thing if other people are doing the same thing as well. Is there – I don't know how to put this where does it sound – but is there like a – is there a little bit of like when you think about this, when you personally think about this, do you think to yourself – if we really nail this, then there's going to be a dozen open source copies within the first nine months of this thing. Like if we actually nail this thing and the market really likes it and the response is good, there's going to be so many clones of this thing in no time. Is that a concern of yours? Cause I, it, so uh, so uh, clone of which thing? A clone of um... – I mean people could just people could just take the work you've done. 
and you know fork it or rebrand it and build on top of it. Uh, here we have somebody who already do that. We, there's already flavors of Ubuntu. We already have people who've taken the work we've done and built something upon that. So that's that's not unusual. Okay. So you feel you feel like if somebody came, wh- I guess to me, I would want a little bit of a market advantage for a while. I would want to have like sort of a position of leadership if I had done the years of R and D and investment in that. Um, I do kind well, of. Go ahead. I feel that the leadership comes from the fact that they started it. If you're looking for a product and you want the quality and you want to be assured that you have what something that's going to be supported, you look at sure. hey, Canonical yeah. is an established company it, it versus is, whoever else. It is super duper rewarding to be a thought leader in a concept, yeah. but it is also not necessarily going to make you any money. And that, at the end of the day, is what they got to do is they got to make money. But you're going to make money. You're canonical in the end of the day. Everyone that wants support and wants a company that's going to be around for the next five years it will be canonical versus whoever just started now. I, I do think so that's so a good point. Canonical will have better support than any of the you know open source copies, mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. So they will probably I, have better I, access. What I, I'm interested to know what their future plans are. I mean, they've clearly chosen one device. So you'll notice that they very explicitly say it only supports the Nexus 5. Right. And that mirrors what we did four years ago with Ubuntu for Android, where we very specifically uh, only supported one device until we got uh, a deal with uh, a third party to Mm -hmm. uh, deliver this on their devices, which we didn't do, which is one of the reasons why Ubuntu for Android doesn't exist now is because we didn't get that that buy-in from a third party to make this a commercial product what are your thoughts Um, on say their strategy of let's just you know let's just pretend for the sake of conversation that they're gonna they're gonna support the 5x and then we know they'll continue to support the nexus lines of phones what if as a project they just said we're gonna support the nexus line that's a that seems like a decent bet right right and and that would be super if if they have the resources to maintain that. And and every time that Google come out with an update for Android, they they have to do their patches or whatever it is they do to make their stuff continue to work. Because what you don't want is to install this Maru and then, you know, three months down the line, there's some security update in Android that you really need to take, which is an over-the-air update. But then breaks your breaks Maru install. Maru. Right. Right. You don't want that. So they need to have the resources to to be able to cope with the upstream demands from from Google which yeah. is somewhat out of their control. I guess I want to I guess I want to sort of double down on that point just for a second because I think we are sometimes a little um uh a little inexp- I don't know exactly we think about things in the terms of the PC market and we don't really think about things in terms of the smartphone market when we think about getting software on smartphones like like Maru here. Mm-hmm. Um the software, the software market, the the, the the cellular market now, and, and the smartphone market itself, in particular, is so much more than the actual product that you're making. It's so much more about the patent licenses that you can strike, the content deals, like with Nokia here or with mm-hmm. Amazon Streaming or or whoever that can provide you things like GPS and assisted GPS, or can provide you, you know, like Apple's built Siri around nuance, right? Apple doesn't actually control the technology behind Siri that does the voice recognition. That's Dragon's. That's Dragon naturally speaking from nuance on a server that does yep. Siri's voice recognition. And you have to have the sort of ability and 
the uh, respectability. You have to be a company. You have to be respectable. You have to be established. And you have to be somebody that's willing. You got to have the money. And and the people you got to make these deals with have to be willing to make the deals with you. Yep. And so you can't just be a couple of people online, a group of people that got a great idea. You've actually got to be a company that can be legally accountable for things and create these deals and move these things. That's what makes a cell phone and, and a smartphone uh, compelling is all of this stuff behind it. The iPhone wouldn't have been successful if there were no iTunes. Mm-hmm. You take away the you take away iTunes when the iPhone first shipped. There was no App Store. There was just iTunes. But if you, and you and you take away the App Store and you take away iTunes and the iPhone has nothing. Right? They would have it would have gone nowhere. Google Google has worked so hard on the Play Store over the last few years, making the Play Store competitive and integrating all of this all of the movie and TV yeah, shows in with the Play yep. Store now. Right? Because it's all about the content. And if you don't – the only way you get the content is by having the deals and those deals only happen between these major corporations. And if you are an open source project, you're only going to get so far when it comes to the smartphone market. And I think a, a lot of it what, it, what it, what a lot of it comes down to is for those of us who are enthusiasts that want to maybe be able to install whatever OS we want on our smartphone, our best bet is going to be stuff that's built off of – the stuff that is benefiting from the companies that can make those deals. So like yep. Google's ASOP or AOSP, right? Or Canonical's images of Ubuntu Touch, where they've gone through the trouble of creating these deals and getting that technology in there, and some of that makes it out to the open source version, and then we can rebuild off, right. off of it. We that. have the resources because they've published them. Right. Uh, but the concept that somebody like, say, Jupiter Broadcasting thought, Oh, here's a great idea. Let's make the Jupiter Broadcasting OS that automatically pulls in all our shows and puts them on your home screen. All right, we'll go to the market with that. It just could never happen yeah. for a small company. It could never. It could never happen. And Canonical is it's, barely big enough to make it happen. Especially Maybe it actually could happen. Which, which, which is uh, probably doing some intrusive things to the device. I would imagine. I mean, there's a reason why they only support one device, and right. almost certainly it's because it's patched quite heavily in order to make this work. Uh, right. In the same way that, that the image that we had for Ubuntu for Android was patched quite heavily. Maybe they're yeah. doing something very different, if, something very new. Then again, and- though, you know, you're, I, mean, I think you've, you're really touching on an important point there, Popey. But then again, like if they double down on just focusing on Nexuses and I was a Nexus user who wanted this particular functionality, yep. uh, I would be willing to sort of wait a couple of weeks to get my updates or whatever it would take. Like, And, it, and if you're not a Nexus user, if you're a Samsung user and there are an enormous number of Samsung oh, users yeah. out there, this is just not going to happen for you. Wimpy. So, so go ahead. So, you know, you can't, you can't possibly use this thing unless you've got their special patched gun or whatever super source or, you know, magic ingredients they've put in. I if think a, a key part of any what, one of the non Nexus things, you're, you're screwed. You can't use it. Probably, I think you're right, and I think the key mm-hmm. part of them being successful would be not even bothering with devices like the Samsung, which is going to, you know, I admit, limit their market substantially, yes. uh, and be really, really on top of updates. You've really got to be on top of updates because the reason you're going to Nexus a lot of times is to get that pure Google edition yep. with the monthly updates. Actually, keep up with. The- yeah. No, 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 no. The reason they're using Nexus is because it's easily unlocked. That's the reason they're using that device. It's it's not it's not that that there's AOSP sources for it. No, I mean it's end users. That's why end users are buying Nexus devices. Oh, I see. I think so. If you're going to get into that market, you need to deliver on those things because that's why you're buying right. a Nexus device. 
so yeah, you're right. It's it is a it has a particular and the Android still needs to work well too. And and you know everybody comes. It feels like everybody who tries this comes to the conclusion that oh, we just need to own the device, or we need to you know we need to partner with the device. Mm-hmm. We need to work tightly with the device. Uh, Wimpy, you had a you had a point you wanted to make about some interesting business agreements recently, which kind of prove some more and more leverage that Canonical appears to be building. Well, I don't know if Canonical are going to be building leverage in this area, but. You know, it was recently announced that Canonical are going to be working with AT&T to develop their, you know, um, infrastructure and services and what have you. And you'd hope that maybe there might be some crossover there to mobile. And if there is, AT&T could be the partner Canonical uh, could work with to give them the clout in the industry to maybe um, bring some services to the ubuntu platform that might be difficult to achieve on their own you know uh i think i think even if this uh so quick recap uh for those of you who may not roughly know what we're talking about during scale roughly it was announced that canonical and at&t are partnering partnering so that essentially the vast 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 majority of at&t's cloud infrastructure will all be ubuntu powered right a uh, huge, huge win because it's like it's it, we're talking tons of different types of services and devices that will be running Ubuntu. And uh, this is the kind of agreement that any large company would love to have. So this was a major win. And the reason why I want to underscore why it's a big win is because even if it never translates to an Ubuntu device on an AT&T network, what it, what it does translate to is legitimacy for Canonical and brand Canonical. And I, I think I want to I want to I want to make sure that everybody fully grasps that because this is legitimacy for brand canonical in the telecom space. That's big a, enterprise telco. It's a pretty big deal, even if it never actually translates to an AT and T phone. Um, it's still a win for canonical, and uh, it's the it's the kind of deal that Red Hat or or SUSE would have loved to have landed. Mm-hmm. Now the Red Hat doesn't have tons of great deals like this on their own. They they have obviously they do, uh, but yeah. Uh, okay, Andy, I'll let you finish off uh, this story before we move on to the next one. Go ahead, your thoughts. Well, I think you're right. Uh, AT&T, um, yeah, they're giving legitimacy. I think the legitimacy is the bigger win here because otherwise you're kind of like Apple trying to break into the set-top box market and that you, um, without, because the market's so locked up with regulations and mm-hmm. And like Everything I, else and is. like I was saying earlier, you know, it's the, a lot of times it's the deals that actually make or break you in the smartphone market, and that kind of legitimate deal sort of uh, underscores why a company at Canonical is going to have a better shot than the guys at Maru. However, that being said, if they had a downloadable image right now for the Maru image, and I had my Noah has my Nexus Five. Um, I've got one. I'll devote to the cause. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if they ha- they don't have a downloadable image, they're not as even soon shipping. As they do though. If someone but I guess gets some that people have us? tried it. Some people have tried it. But if there's a sign up, they have like a mailing list you can get on. Uh, but if somebody out there knows how to get an image, we'll try it. Because that said, uh, this I would try on a Nexus Five, like nobody's business. And the fact that it's Debian based is kind of cool too. Yeah. Uh, so they'll uh, be like the they'll be like the Roku of cell phones. Maybe. I mean. You know, honestly, it's something I would love to try on my phone. It really is something I'd love to try. So if they ship something, you know, XFCE desktop based on Debian, based on Debian eight, and I still get my, I can still get all, I can still run all my standard Android apps on the phone while I'm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is uh, that is actually something I'd be willing to give a shot just to see what how it works. 
Hey, while we're talking about this kind of thing, uh, real real quickly here, uh, I I know we covered on last. We don't have to go into it a big detail here, but uh, we do have a uh, an officially shipping. Uh, this uh, uh, is pretty exciting. Officially shipping Ubuntu a tablet, tablet. in Q two, the BQ Aquarius M ten Ubuntu edition, ten point one inch tablet, quad core MediaTek processor, uh, high capacity battery. They say. 1080p camera, heyo, two gigabytes of RAM, and an eight megapixel rear camera. So, and a micro SD card slot. Okay, yeah, that is true. Uh, Popey, I look at this and I think that's pretty exciting. But in the era of the iPad Pro and the Nvidia Shield tablets, two gigabytes of RAM and the 1.5 gigahertz processor. Is this an entry-level device in your opinion or do you think this is going to be something that maybe is actually going to perform pretty well? Because I don't – I've never – I'm coming from an Android experience where Android kind of has a lot more overhead. Uh, I think as always, it depends what you're going to do with the device. You know, if, you, if you're going to try and run LibreOffice and open a ton of very heavy presentations, then of course it's <laughs> not going to be the smoothest of experiences. But if you're opening a browser and a terminal and – you know, a couple of other apps, then I think maybe I'm, not so much of a problem. I think I'm mostly worried about two gigabytes of RAM. Yeah. Because I can, I can kill two gigabytes of RAM just in my browser. And, a, and 11 gigs available on the hard drive. Yeah, if you don't have an SD. You know, I could see me moving home big. over to micro SD. I can yeah. see that working. Uh, but I'm worried, I'm worried right. about the RAM. Yeah, and we've been doing a lot of work to try and trim down what our apps are using and and obviously it depends what you, which apps you're choosing because some of them are less heavyweight than others shall we say mm-hmm. you know, some mm-hmm. of them you know if you if you're using uh, pure c++ games for example they start instantly and uh, don't consume a huge amount of memory whereas if you open a web browser and open a ton of uh, web apps or um, you know, use webrtc to chat to your friends or hangouts or something like that then you know, you're going to exhaust the memory. And we use similar techniques to Android and iOS to kill applications that are using memory that are least recently used, that kind of stuff. So we do our best to make best use of the, the memory that we have available. Sure. Right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, actually, that it works out to be a good thing. If it, if it works and it's pretty usable now... I'd certainly uh, like to try it. With two gigs of RAM and a quad-core 1.5 gigahertz MediaTek, then when the next device comes out, it should probably run even better, I would hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I'm in. I think I'm going to get one as soon as they're – I hope that the pre-sales process is pretty straightforward. Um, but I don't, I don't yeah, really – Unfortunately, we have, we have no control over the way the right. – yeah. Uh, our partners. What about what about so the idea that or games or something? We we don't we don't control that. Are you, what about the idea that? Yeah, I just I worry that too. The tablets aren't selling that well right now. I'm not buying the tablet right. anytime soon. Really? And but but the thing is that you know we we get a lot of flack that people don't want to uh, switch from Android or iOS yet because Ubuntu isn't like completely ready for the mainstream. And we're completely aware of that. You know, we know there are some core applications that, that are not serviced by the platform. We know there are things missing and we're working on those things. We know there are certain services that the platform doesn't provide that, that, that I know a lot of people would like us to provide and app developers would like us to provide. And I, and I don't, I don't think we should, dismiss out of hand these devices when really you and i the kind of people not not end users not my mom and my my daughter and my son but like you and i us uh techies are the kind of people that this is aimed at and and Mm -hmm. i think we're the kind of people who could 
make this platform better and evangelize for it and uh, advocate its use when yeah, maybe in a year's time there's something with many, many more cores, much more RAM, and all the right, applications right. are already there. Right. Yep. I, I will. Start I will try. You know, I, I'm 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 willing to jump in kind of early as long as the price is right. And so we'll see. I'm I'm still looking forward to it. And uh, I bet pretty soon after that thing ships, you'll start seeing images for other devices show up, and it's going to go from there. Real quickly, so, uh, just one of our favorite distros here on the show, we'd like to give a mention to when they have a new update. Corora twenty three is out. It's out. It's taken a long ass time since 20 I mean, I don't I they, they blame it on they say the 3 months we've been waiting for our waiting for this thing is because of RPM fusion repositories uh, to be declared stable, but they just haven't gotten around to it. The community packages that they, you know, include from RPM fusion like multimedia codecs and kernel drivers Which kind of makes Corora what it is. Yeah. Uh kind of depend on RPM fusion. Uh but uh they feel like they're stable enough. They're going to start shipping them now. So Cora 23 is officially out. And uh, once they make the RPM Fusion repository stable, they'll automatically switch your Cora installation over, probably through an update. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I don't mean to – I don't mean – and the RPM Fusion, great project. Corora, great project. 2000 and effing 16. Are you kidding me? When you have the OpenSUSE build service out there that anybody could use, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. It, you have one of the most – it is really a crap show, Fedora. You, you have a real crap show on your hands here because you have yourselves one of the most compelling Linux distributions backed by one of the most compelling companies in tech, period, full stop, Red Hat, not to mention one of the coolest Linux companies out there. And yet you can't get a distribution that has actual software available for it. The situation has gotten better with copper, much, much better with copper. Yeah. Not good enough. Not good enough. And while you guys can't get this out of the gate, you have Canonical working on snappy packages or snap packages or whatever the hell they're called that can just go pull crap down from GitHub automatically. You've got Arch, which has had the AUR for who knows how long. And FreeBSD, which is older than your grandpa, has been around with the ports tree forever. And all of these different places have figured out how to get software available for the end user in a reasonable time that is relevant to their current interests. And you have projects out there like OwnCloud and one of the the talks, by the way, one of the talks at scale. In fact, Mark Shuttleworth himself up on stage at scale said that one of the things canonically hears all the time from upstream is, oh, yeah, don't use our packages in the repo. Don't use the package that's in the repo. Think about that for a second. This is what upstream projects are telling people that are deploying their software in high production environments. They're saying, don't use the package repos. Don't use the package in the repo. That's what they're telling them. Yep. And this is Mark Shuttleworth admitting this up on stage. And Fedora is the worst of it. OpenSUSE. So open, nobody uses OpenSUSE, and yet it's got a better software situation <laughs> than Fedora does. And Copper has been around, and it's getting much better, but it's still not good enough. And RPM Fusion has worked so hard and diligently to try to provide a solution for this. It is not good enough. They need to address it at a project level. They need to empower their community. I don't to be better in, and better in sync. I, I don't know. I don't. Maybe they need. To, I don't know what's wrong with copper. It just. I know. I know. I Sh- might I have an idea as to what's going on here. I. I honestly, and you know, just let me finish, and then I'll, I'll let you jump in. The reason why this upsets me is I honestly would probably run Fedora full time. Yeah. If these, if this, and 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 if this could be solved, and I don't understand. 
I guess I've I've always I've always come from the position because I talked to so many people who switched to Linux and and myself I came into Linux initially through a Red Hat path. There's so many people who come to Linux because of Red Hat and they find and so for them not to have solved this by now, I I just I cannot grasp it. As somebody who's been watching this for literally an effing decade, I cannot grasp why they haven't solved this problem yet. Go ahead. I'm actually thinking but that part of the problem is is that they don't have the numbers uh, of developers or whatever is needed to actually develop all of these little fissures and fractures like Cora, RPM Fusion, and all these little minor projects. So what happens is, is these projects just take forever to come out, whereas OpenSUSE, even though they don't have a large community, they're focused mostly on the core and just a few little extras like the uh, the the, um, the build service and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think Fedora should look at SUSE and go, hmm, Geez, they seem to be really nipping at our heels these days. I mean, I, was, I made a joke, I made a crack about open open source there, but in reality, Fedora should be looking yeah. behind over their shoulder and going, "Oh, geez, what are these guys doing?" There seems to be a lot of steam and a lot of momentum here, um, especially when Fedora has already done so much in terms of you know switching to DNF and like mm-hmm. they've modernized a lot of their infrastructure, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this is like the last component that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, so now you've got a, this is actually really it. This is you've got you've got the different rings of Fedora or yep. whatever they call it. And uh, you got Fedora Desktop and Workstation, Workstation as they call it. Yeah. Uh, and you have all this stuff set up now, but yet what you don't have is the user base that makes it usable. And there's there's other distros out there that are kicking their ass. And I don't understand why they're getting their ass kicked so bad here. I mean, look at Arch or 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 look at OpenSUSE or or look at Ubuntu, even though they got PPAs right now. I mean, look what they're doing there, right? It is so much better than what's happening at Fedora. It's getting way better too because people are going to – people that are listening to this are going to be like, Chris, you're way off base on this. And you know they're gonna they're gonna cite copper and all of yep. this, and I I will say I just don't think it's enough. Having watched this for as long, it is so much better than it used to be. So I don't want to I don't want to diminish it, but it's just not enough yet. And when I see something like it, it, there's when I see something like Corora, the reason why Corora is of note is because it is one of the few actually usable distros based off Fedora. That's why it's even of note. One of our favorites, as you said. That needs to tell you something right there. If you think I'm wrong, answer answer me why. That's the that's that's fact. Why is there why are there so few well known usable distros based off Fedora? It's because of this fundamental problem they struggle with. It's a loss if you base it off Fedora. You're you're, you're appealing to Fedora users. Anyways, I, I, I'll leave it at that. I just find it to be very 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 frustrating. Um. All right. Imamur, any thoughts before we move? No. I mean, I, and I love it. Like, I literally say I would switch to it. I, if, I think there's a lot of Fedora love on, on JB. Thank you. I try. You know, I think it's a, I think it's a good distro. They push the boundaries in awesome ways. I like the folks behind it. Yep. Um, there's just some packages you got to have. You know what's funny is how underrepresented it is sometimes, too, at community events. And sometimes it gets pretty good representation, and sometimes it feels like OpenSUSE and Ubuntu are the only two distros that exist at events. Bobby, did you get that sense at scale? Um, well, I'm biased, so don't ask me. I suppose, yeah, I suppose. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, the reason I say that is, like, there's usually a Red Hat booth and a Fedora booth, but 
Not always. And sometimes they don't put a ton of effort into one of the booths. Like one time, sometimes the Red Hat booth gets a lot of effort. And sometimes like Ruth mans the Fedora booth and she brings like sometimes what Ruth does is she'll Amazon Prime in some furniture and she does a nice setup. But it's like as far as she can take it. And sometimes they assign her at the Red Hat booth and then she's not Mm -hmm. at the Fedora booth and like nothing happens. And that's kind of what happened at scale. Uh, were there more like in total? Were there more BSDs there than there were Linux distros? Well, there were two BSD booths. Wow. Yeah. And and three Linux distros. So that was close. Yeah, that's frightening. <laughs> they're coming, Wes. This is going to be BSD plug- unplugged in the air, isn't it? <laughs> and they're they're coming for you, and uh, we've we've already got our new show planned. Welcome to BSD Unplugged, your weekly <laughs> BSD talk show that's too busy getting actual work done to care about what your silly display server. My name is Alan. There you go. <laughs> he'll, be, he'll be running our display server before too long. <laughs> Oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. All right. So uh, this – we should really move on. I, I, I got all off on a tear about Fedora and I, I love them. I shouldn't have done it. But but this, they frustrate you. It, there are some things that don't frustrate you though. Well, that's true, Wes. There's some things that make life simpler. You know, there are some things that make life simpler like Ting. Ting is on a, mo- a mission to make mobile simpler, which makes it less frustrating. Really, it does make it less frustrating too because they got great support. They got a great control panel. Only $6 per month, flat rate for the line. And then it's just your usage on top of that. Go to linux.ting.com. Go to linux.ting.com to save and support the show. You get $25 off a device. That's serious. Or if you bring a compatible device and they got GSM and CDMA, what? So, like, everything works. Pretty much. You can check out. They got a page that tells you. They give you $25 of credit. Now, here's the thing. Average monthly bill per device, 23 bucks. So you get $25 in credit. It paid for more than my first month, which was like years ago now. They have a savings calculator so you can see how much you would save. I got picked out a couple of really good devices I think are good value. Uh, The LG Volt 2, $183, ships tomorrow, SIM card included, tri-band LTE, $183, unlocked, no contract, pay for what you use. It's a pretty nice Snapdragon processor. Hmm, that's yeah. a name brand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that actually, uh, you know what? I'm going to take it over MediaTek. <laughs> uh, all right. And also, how about this one? Ooh. Here's another name you like, Wes, the One Plus Two. How about that? $349 unlocked from the Ting network. I love it. USB-C. You know, they, oh, yeah, that's true. And, you know, they've also got, uh, like, the Nexus I devices. They got the Moto Pure Editions on here. They got the Internet Phone 5s and 6s on here. Oh, what are those you've got on screen? The feature phones, buddy. Look at that. Dura 47 XT. Bu- 47 bucks for the Dura XT. That looks tough. Yeah, if you want to step up to a camera, 58 bucks. Now, you know what? Seriously, no contract. No early termination fee. You pay for what you use, and you can also turn the line off when you're not using it. Ooh. Like as an emergency phone or a phone for the kid or a phone for anybody. You know, I mean, geez, it really. Or like Noah's like, here's my personal bat line. You can. That's what he uses it for. I, I also, if you're not a performance hound, the Moto G first gen, $63. You're still getting updates to get a nice near wow. Google experience on that one. Yeah. I can say near Google because I got a couple of Moto X things on there, but most people seem to think they like them. Uh, I have not tried it personally. Kyocera Vibe, 150 bucks. I mean, so many great uh, – the Netgear Zing, which is what I use on my road trips, and I like that one because it's got the OLED touchscreen right there, so you can see all your business right there. Fancy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can see how many Wi-Fi – seeing how many Wi-Fi devices are connected right there on the screen, super nice because yep. then I can see if somebody's trying to connect to my Wi-Fi. <laughs> uh, that's handy. I only have two computers. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
linux.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged show. Plus, we got that awesome URL, linux.ting.com. One of the things I've always wanted to be able to do when I'm running a virtual machine is get legitimate 3D performance. Yes. Legit 3D performance. not settle for closed source solutions to do so. And we've all read about doing uh, like a VGA pass-through in your virtual environment. And we've all read the guide and be like, oh, jeez, I don't want to do that. And then like you see the the videos of people doing it. You're like, oh, maybe I can do it. in a separate X server and Mm -hmm. you've got – oh, yeah. Let me tell you about Virgil 3D. This is something that's been made possible by a feature that shipped in the latest Linux kernel that I didn't actually notice at first. You did. You caught it, didn't you? Uh, So in kernel 4.4, we got a brand new, very neat feature uh, that uh, is going to help change all of this. It's called VertIO GPU. It's a driver you've maybe heard of before. But it's got a whole new feature set. In this release, it allows the virtualization guest to use the capabilities of the host GPU to accelerate 3D rendering. In practice, this means a virtualized Linux guest can run an OpenGL game while using the GPU acceleration capabilities of the host. And we'll talk more about this here in a second. Now, it requires running QMU 2.5, amongst other things. So uh, we've heard of virtualization 3D capabilities in uh, things before, like uh, um, 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 what is it? Uh, VirtualBox. Mm-hmm. VirtualBox has some limited uh, OpenGL support, but the way they're doing it is is actually pretty wonky. The way VirtualBox and and other virtualization solutions like VMware and Parallels and some of the other common consumer. Uh, virtualization products are doing is they're actually trying to emulate the entire OpenGL stack. They're, opula- they're, 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 they're essentially acting as an OpenGL client to your host video card. But the problem is the OpenGL stack is crazy big, a moving target, and honestly has some problems. And as the developer of Virgil 3D tells us, it has all kinds of other issues. I have a quick clip from a conference. Um, we have VirtualBox who did an open source graphics adapter but based it on OpenGL. Insane, but <laughs> basically OpenGL is very big, and basing your whole hardware abstraction layer on a huge API is A, insane, and B, security implications abound. It's really hard to prove that you're going to be able to shut this thing, and they're having a lot of trouble. VirtualBox have been going, how are we going to make it even stable? So it's like they can't upstream their drivers because they don't know what to do. So, I, so, I mean, it goes on, but... You can see how basing it on top of OpenGL would be a horrible idea. Yes. But it's essentially what we've been trying to do for a while. I looked at that one. That's a bit insane. They have a bit more. They've got a Windows driver at least started, but they also hacked a lot of things. There was also a project called vGallium, where Which they actually used yep. the Gallium hardware interface that we, I, I was using. I remember vGallium, and I, don't, I remember it was difficult to set up, but I can't remember why. Well, he gives us a real quick recap. But they didn't go to the, heart, the next level. They basically was a research project for Zen. He just basically took the Gallium code in the top and then shoved it out the bottom. So the, the host had to be running a Gallium driver with a special API attached to it. So it, it wasn't generic. You couldn't run it on any sort Which of driver. Which is why it was difficult. It was very, but it was, a, it was a research project that showed that it could be done, but he never had the time or inclination to actually finish it off. But yeah, all of apart from the VMware one, I think the others are all have been pretty bad. Uh, so the VMware one he thinks is yeah. kind of decent. So this is a Virgil, a 3D driver, a 3D GPU for KMU. Virgil is a research project to investigate the possibility of creating a virtual 3D GPU for use inside of a QMU virtual machine that allows the guest operating system to use the capabilities of the host GPU 
to accelerate 3D rendering. The, who is that? Can you see that? Who is that? That would be William. Mr. William, I think you might have a hotkey for like control or something because every now and then we, we hear your uh, wonderful ambiance. Uh, the plan is to have the guest GPU that is fully independent of the host GPU. And I want to underscore this point. This is really slick about this is what they're – they are – since they're emulating the GPU, you are fully independent of the host GPU, which makes it more portable. Makes you don't it, have to have a dedicated card to give to pass through. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and it, it makes it obviously uh, probably more cross-platform in terms of cards and CPUs. The project entails creating a virtual 3D-capable graphics card for virtual machines running inside QMU. The design of this card is based around the concepts of Gallium 3D to make writing Mesa or Mesa and eventually direct 3D drivers for it easy. A couple other points. Initial groundwork got laid in kernel 4.2. It contains the mode setting only drivers, but Linux 4.4 contains the 3D supported pieces. So you got to have Linux yes. 4.4. QMU 2.4 contains some of the initial code, but QMU 2.5 contains 3D support only with the GTK front a GTK3 front end enabled with GL. So there's a couple of caveats. You got to have QMU25 with GTK3 front end and GL enabled. Woo! But uh, so far, he's been able to just run every damn desktop 3D game he's thrown at it inside the virtual machine and running inside uh, desktop environments, which are 3D accelerated, like GNOME 3. Nice. Yeah. It's happening, Wes. It's where we're getting legitimate 3D-capable support. And it's – I mean it's it's here already. Like it slipped in. There's a couple of hoops you got to jump through, but it slipped in in the last kernel. Can you imagine update. when it's just part of boxes and oh. every VM you spin up, it's just accelerated? Maybe this even is, Windows VM? This is super exciting for me uh, because something I, I always I, – I always, particularly as Wimpy will be – Wimpy will be first to point, point out. I have not received – my Purism 15 laptop. <laughs> I don't know if you knew this. No, you know, I thought you'd had it for, for months now. Yeah, no, I have not yet received That's that. That's not in front of me right here? No. No. I, I was hoping no. the chat room would have a time code of when I first backed the project, a YouTube time link by now, but we don't have that. But uh, come on, uh, uh, Wimpy, as, as you move, I don't know if you're aware, but I have not yet received my Librem 15. Were you, were you aware of that? I'd heard. <laughs> so, Gets around. I don't have a lot of spare machines right now. I have been – every time we do a distro review, and you might have noticed we haven't done one for a few weeks. Yep. Every time we do a distro review, I have to sacrifice one of my machines. Like I got I to gotta sacrifice because I, I – typically what I would like to do because I've been doing this for so long. I like to just have a nice, safe machine. Yep. Generally, it's a Get System the 76. Bare metal, full install experience exactly. to really review it. Yeah. Because it, it, if, you don't, if you don't get the full 3D accelerated desktop these days with like GNOME 3 or Plasma 5, or even if I wanted to install Ubuntu Mate and turn on Compiz and just see how that works, it's really limiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, I, I think this could make it much easier to demo stuff to people. It could make it much easier to test stuff. I mean, this is super, super exciting. And I love that it just is here already. We just get it. We just get it as being Linux users. It's really it might make – hopefully it will make, you know, like KVM, QEMU a little more accessible. Like I know a lot of people who use things like ESXi stacks, right, to do a lot of their home virtualization needs because KVM, QEMU, they don't get the performance they want or they don't get the graphics that they're used to with VMware, that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. maybe this can bring that enterprise experience to home users. He also says he's working uh, down the road on uh, the capability of doing direct 3D drivers to make it possible to run Windows clients and get direct that 3D support. Awesome. Uh, ND, isn't this sort of one of these things that uh, you think you only get in Linux because commercial vendors wouldn't necessarily be all that motivated to work on a feature like this in their base OS? 
exactly that, and or or maybe a BSD, but also because like um, OpenGL APIs, they're moving targets because you're looking behind this this you're peeping through this hole that Windows has let you in to see their magic, <laughs> whatever, yeah. right? Yeah, that's very true. Uh, it is very true. Uh, I think too, like. Uh, when I'm when I'm just wanting if if I'm wanting like one Windows app that requires DirectX like yep. AutoCAD or maybe it's some game I mean there's got to be done tons of them out there I can't even think of all of them if there's just one or two things that if I just had a Windows Seven VM or something that had Direct 3D support easily spin up on one of your nicer machines and just and nope. then so, and some would something like AutoCAD or whatever require like super crazy crazy i don't i don't i don't know exactly what the performance would be like but if it's decent enough that could actually enable a lot of people to switch to linux hmm. watch out bsd we're coming for your beehive we're coming for your beehive anybody in the mumble room have any other thoughts on this story it'd be great if someone wanted to set this up or you know if anyone has any recent stacks set up and want to try to run something yeah yeah you need to have kernel 4.4 and it would also make uh development of uh, vulcan easier too oh mm. Oh man, you could also make uh, really developing games for SteamOS easier too. Yeah, that, that that's what I was just thinking. Like for OpenQA, you test almost all of its stuff inside Kimu VMs, and the idea oh, of being man. able to test 3D accelerated graphics yeah. automatically. Oh, that'd be so nice. Yeah, and this... testing desktop environments. Wayland, Weston. Wow. Yes. Wow. I, I, automated I... testing mm-hmm. gets a huge. Oh wow. Woo. Even though I don't uh, support this uh, particularly, this might be a good way to, to uh, get some Windows-only games running in Linux. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Boy, when you think of the gaming aspect of it and the automated testing, which I hadn't considered, it's worth it just for that. Being able to do automated testing of uh, – boy, I'm really excited about this. I'm going to follow this. It's worth even forking uh, if you had a Windows Skype on Linux. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, very good one, Rike. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Now we, now we just got to work on a, a good uh, good way to get full camera access under the VM. Maybe maybe that's good enough already. I haven't really tried. It's just a USB device. It shouldn't be that hard. But, you know, I, the I'd fork it comment. I would just – to just to clarify what I mean there um, – if this was code that exists, you could have your own test environment based off this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to even make it into mainline. No, not a, yeah. Oh, I get excited about that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I would love to see it in mainline. I mean, it is. It is in mainline. It is. That's the great thing. Uh, this already we exists. We all get it. Like, I can't wrap my head around the fact that this already exists. It's on your ex- computer now. I'm so often talking about things that are coming down the road yeah, right. that I can't even fathom the fact that something just has already shipped and it's shipped in January. It's not even January, very, very little fanfare. And I, I think I'm already – let me see here. Hold on. The most important question is which kernel is Chris running right How'd now? How'd your update go? Well, I, I think I updated on Sunday, so I should be pretty current. Uh, I'm currently running 4.4.1. So I, I could I – could, if I had the right version of QMU, which I probably do, I could get it. I could try yeah. it. Yeah. That is really cool. <laughs> well, how about that? All right. Well – I, I don't know. I just feel like uh, I feel like we should all sing Kumbaya now because that I just like we just all got a feature for free that the commercial OSs don't even have. Ha! What do you guys got? They got nothing. You know what else? Linux Academy's got me pretty excited. LinuxAcademy.com/slash/unplugged. Go there right now to get yourself a discount and check out Linux Academy. The Linux Academy is upgrading all the freaking time. These guys are on a roll. They've been exploding staff-wise and really exploding feature-wise and content-wise too. In fact, I whoop, hello there. I invite you to go over to LinuxAcademy.com/slash/unplugged and then take the tour. Two thousand three hundred 
and 13. Boom! Self-paced videos where you can obtain experience as you need to learn and practice on your lab servers provided by the Linux Academy. Master the concepts, you guys, with 2,313. I hear that number changes all the time. It goes up, Wes. It goes up. And they got staff dedicated to keep the stuff current, too. They got scenario-based labs, which I think is super slick. You work in their advanced lab environment while completing scenarios from beginning to end on lab servers that are live. Instructor help is available. Did I mention instructor help is available? By the way, did you hear? Instructor help is available. For these type of topics, I think I should mention the fact that instructor help is available. I might need instructor help. Is that available? That is available. Yes. Instructor help is available at the Linux Academy, and I think that's a big deal for these types of topics and concepts. Here's something I really love, and it makes so much sense. I'm surprised that I haven't seen this before. Graded server exercises. Linux Academy automatically grades your actions so you can see how well you did. Right there, built in. Included in all different memberships. They have Red Hat stacks. Boom. Bottom top. You want to you become a Red Hat expert? They got it. Python. OpenStack. PHP. Ruby. And the Amazon Web Services. And as somebody who's accidentally spent too much money on Amazon Web Services, learning about Amazon Web Services, and somebody who thought he could just jump in this weekend and set up simple mail services on Amazon, I can tell you one of the really nice features of Linux Academy is their AWS courses. Because when you go to do stuff in AWS, they're spinning those in, those instances up for you. It's part of your Linux Academy subscription. All of this stuff is. Anytime you want to get to any different type of courseware, anytime you want to just jump into something new, they, everything is part of your subscription, and they do it in a way where they, where they quantify it with just a simple amount of time. That's ah, going to take you seven hours to learn Ruby. Well, I got... You spread that out over a few weeks. I got seven hours. In fact, one of the things that's really nice about Linux Academy is they have a system where you just input your time. You just say how much time you have available, and they have an algorithm that will create detailed learning plans with reminders and daily assignments, labs, and quizzes that are due. They'll also just give you expected completion dates so you can help schedule your certs and then, you know, go, go be a boss. Boom. I think it's a pretty great service, and I think they're a great fit for our audience. I think they're a really great fit for our audience, and I'd like you to go there. Check them out and support the show by visiting linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Shh. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone except for every single person you yes, know. Yes, tell everyone. <laughs> um, if you're even mildly interested in Linux, Linux Academy is perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And you know what? If you want to just like tell everyone you know and like maybe make, make them a nice card and just put, been thinking of you and maybe you need to improve a little. Visit Linux Academy. You know the part. Put that, a slash unplugged in there. I almost feel bad, but like the part that gets me is that Linux Academy is even useful for people who might not even be that into Linux. But oh yeah, just want a good job. Yeah, you know, or, who are looking for a career, or you want to learn PHP. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people who find Linux Academy useful too are folks that ended up in a job where now Linux is part of the stack, and now they have to do that. And then also for people who have worked with Linux for a really long time, and they they know they're missing either a couple of fundamentals. Or a refreshment on the fundamentals would be necessary, or even in my case, what was necessary is I discovered at some point when I was doing the standard career thing was mm-hmm. I actually need to have proof that I know this stuff. And what's great and something we've watched over the years when, uh, with Linux Academy is they are really becoming a known brand. And so having yeah, Linux Academy on trusted. that. Yeah. And, and now with their partnership with the, Linux, uh, with the Linux Foundation, that takes it even further. And so it, for people that are playing the, uh, the corporate game. Uh, I think uh, this would have been. A, I just, I, I would have. I would have loved to have a tool like this. I would have loved to have a tool like this. LinuxAcademy.com/slash unplugged. Go check them out, and uh, you know, 
if nothing else, support the show by visiting them. So I'm going to do something on the show live because I don't think this is going to be available for very long. Yeah, probably not. <clears throat> it's called Streamio, I think, right? It's S-T-R-E-M dot I-O. And uh, it's like Popcorn Time. Streamio. Streamio. Popcorn Time meets Plex. Anybody in the mumble room tried this yet? Uh, this is sort of like a, Of course not. No, of course not. Okay. Now, neither have I. Um, and I don't condone. He's not about to try it now either. Well, I, I, I no. am for, for journalistic purposes about yes, to try right. it. Free pass journalism. But I won't use it personally after trying it on the show. Uh, really. Uh, but uh, it is something interesting. So it's Plex meets Popcorn. And Popcorn Time was this uh, app that essentially made BitTorrent streaming really super simple. So when you go to their website, they automatically detect your OS, and you can download a binary. Uh, it's a direct download. I love seeing that cute little penguin right next to the apple on the window. Yeah, isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. That is really nice. It's a direct download, and uh, I'm surprised by that. I, I think that'll be the first thing that goes, is that won't be a direct HTTP download yeah, anymore. Right. Uh, and, and once you run it, it actually launches as oh, – jeez. Apparently, I have tar.gz uh, – <laughs> watch this, Wes. Watch this. Okay, so I go <laughs> – I don't know how this happens. I go, sh- I go show in folder, right? Yep. And it, it launches – it launches uh, FileLite, uh, which is the uh, file space. Like, nice. That's that's apparently what I've associated with tar.gz files. Uh, I, mime I, types are all messed up. I don't know how that even happens. How does that even how does that even become a thing? I don't even know. Anyways, so you download stream.io for your platform of choice, which of course is Linux. Naturally. I wouldn't think otherwise. But look at that. They've got Windows and Mac too if, I you're, guess, if you're trapped there. I, I suppose. And then they have a runtime. You launch the runtime. The runtime itself is almost 60 megabytes. Uh, and then once it's launched up, uh, <laughs> I first saw this. I thought, why the hell would I log in with Facebook yep. or with my own account? Uh, but you might see why later. Or you can do a guest login. So I'll just do a guest login for purposes of the show here. Uh, and I'll make it a little bit bigger so you guys that are watching the video version can see this. And it has uh, interesting a header bar like design up there at the top. You see that? I do. Very GNOME three like, even though this is obviously not a GTK application. No, it's not. So uh, when it first launches, you have your categories here along the uh, left hand side: movies, series, channels, and TV channels. And the movies has been highlighted in top and right there is Spectre and uh, the Machinist and Mission Impossible, all the latest movies. So let's just click on uh, Spectre for example here. When I click on it. It brings up uh, a very plex like uh, here's info about the the movie, its director, its cast, the genre, the summary. You can play the trailer, if IMDb you want. rating, all that stuff. So let's click play. When you click play, you are then presented with a couple of really interesting options, uh, which are the first and highlighted options: buy it on iTunes, buy it on Amazon, buy it on Vudu or Google Play. And then there's this another section here. Oh, which. Which is in every video and everywhere it says popular in your area. And there's this Juan Carlos Torrance, HD free. <laughs> now, if you click that, it says, hey, bro, would you want to get this add-on to do torrents? I say, okay, activate this add-on. The torrent, activated is, the torrent add-on is activated. The movie splash comes up, and then it uses the logo of the movie as the loading screen. How, how clean and slick, slick is that? This is it buffering the torrent right now of the movie. And I'm not going to, I'm just, just, this is just to show you this is possible. I don't plan to watch the movie on the show here. But he it, already bought uh, 10 copies before the show started. I do own this movie. Uh, totally. Uh, so this, it, it, it buffers the movie over torrents and begins playing it. But now, now it did, <clears throat> it did present first Buying off of Amazon, buying off of iTunes, yes, buying off of Google Play. And then once it's done that, it starts and it streams off of the torrent. Uh, and it does this for TV shows, movies, all of it. 
Uh, and they're trying to get away by saying, well, we offer the commercial version. I'm not going to play because I don't want to get takedown. Uh, but trust me, it, it does it does indeed work. And you can see you, they have series. So you could go watch TV shows specifically. They have TV channels on here. I don't really know if those are legitimate TV channels or not. But um, this is a really interesting app. Linux support out of the box. Yeah. No way this thing's going to last. What's your bet? How many days until it's taken down? Well, I don't know if it'll be taken down directly or if they'll just remove maybe Juan Carlos plugin will no longer be there. Some of the, you know, it's interesting to have kind of the functionality wrapped in a Linux supported client for things like, look here, I'm watching the BBC on the little laptop right here. That was right through the player, right? So look at that. Some things maybe you can work it out. Like <clears throat> maybe I don't want to have to cool. use the Amazon's crappy web interface to right. watch my Prime videos. Yes. If I can do it here, that might be just as good. Good call. You could use it just for that kind of stuff. But uh, you got to think the built-in torrent streaming, that's yes. going to get them taken down, right? Especially with all those movies that just pop right up on the front when you load the app that's just asking for it. Yeah, it's just making them front and center. It makes the it makes the, the stealing really easy and it's popular in your area. So uh, they're, they're <laughs> it's using – popular in every area. They're using uh, Electron, which provides the innovative platform that they've built around. Uh, they're using Web Chimera, which is a Web Chimera JS allows for Streamio to play any video format with good performance. They're making it easy to create your own add-on. We all right. We gotta get a JB add-on up in here. Mm, that's a good call, Wes. That's a good call. And they're uh, they're an open source project. So let's go look at their open source projects on GitHub. What do you think? <clears throat> so I see their translations here. Local files, add-ons. Hmm. I don't see the main player, though. Nope, I'm not seeing the main player. Where is the main – AirPlay Airplay, support. that's cool. Yeah, one of the things they let you do is stream to – they do they support Chromecast and AirPlay. Oh, they support and, Chromecast. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. I know. <laughs> it's actually pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it's 60 – wow, the chat room is really upset that it's 64-bit only. I'm, I'm like – You guys living in the past? <laughs> what are you on? Chat room, really? Okay, let's take a little straw poll real quick here. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put this together. Uh, real, I gotta know because you know uh, there was a rumor that uh, what was it that uh, Ubuntu might drop uh, i386 support. Uh, there's uh, there's the their new the new uh, Neon project only supports. You know, uh, when, I get, when I get the the 32 bit ISO, I'm like, did I I downloaded the wrong ISO, right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need that crap. All right, so chat room, I'm gonna put together a straw poll. I want to find out how many of you are on 32-bit or 64-bit. So I'm just going to put this 32-bit. No judgment. It's not like there's anything wrong with Total that. judgment. All right. Uh, no, no, I'm kidding. Okay. Which you got? You're asking the wrong question, aren't you? Why? What is that? What is that? What is it? What is it? What is it? What is the question? You're asking, you're asking, do you need 32-bit, yes or no? Um, not whether you're running it. It's whether you need it. What would you need 32-bit for? What am I missing? Netbooks. Someone with three old computers. Well, that's not. I wouldn't yeah. say need it with a netbook. Yeah, well, except for the ones a lot that of the only netbooks have got it. atoms and they're only thirty-two bit capable. Yeah, that's a good point. Mini True. MC is that the uh, when you use that Streamio stuff, it's buffered. Yeah, yeah, you're using you're stealing if you're using torrents. So I wouldn't. I mean, you gotta you got your own moral issues. You got to figure out with that. I just think the technology aspect of it's interesting. Um, all right, I put together a straw poll. I just brought, dropped dropped in the chat room. Strawpoll.me slash six. Seven seven five zero seven three. I just want to know if uh, you're running. Uh, uh, also, there's another straw poll going uh, uh, that is also happening. There's another link in the chat room about backup solutions. We'll talk about more of that in the uh, post show, maybe. <clears throat> well, I thought it was interesting. I think it's also kind of what you said for Linux users. I haven't played with it enough yet to say it works like this. But if right. I could hit the Google Play button and actually legitimately buy it and and have it on Google Play. 
and then have it play in that player and not have to leave that software. Yeah. That would actually be worth it right there. Right. You know, I wonder how well it facilitates, like if it can provide a nice wrapper and if it's already like maybe I already have a Kodi system and it's easy enough to do my Google Play and my Amazon stuff just in that or Kodi can launch that, something like that. Mm-hmm. That, would work. Mm-hmm. that would work well. All right, real quickly, uh, 95% of the 96% of the votes, we've only gotten 23 because we just I literally just put it in the chat room. 24 votes. Uh, Live action polling. 92% on 64. Hi there. 92% on 64-bit. Uh, Four percent on thirty-two percent. I even put ARM in there. To be fair, four percent ARM sixty-four bit. Ah, oh, jeez. Ah, oh, jeez. I didn't want to break up the ARM. I wanted to give ARM We're just a solid showing. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. That's it. That's <laughs> it. You know what? That's a sign that it's time to end the show right there. That's our cue right there. We'll bring it to an end. Linux unplugged live on a Tuesday. We'd love to have you join us in our virtual lug. Did you know we have one of those? You just heard from them. You could be the guy that keeps hitting his control button. No, I just kidding. No, actually, don't be that guy. You know, you've heard of lugs, but then you got to go somewhere. And I know Maybe you're busy on Saturday. Shoot, I, I think you should still go to your local lugs. But if you can't, or if there's not one near you, or maybe you just want an extra one, or your whole lug wants to come join our virtual lugs. We got a mumble room. It's open source software. It's open to you. you just have to have a good working mic. Join us at jblive.tv, Linux Action Show. Reddit.com for content and feedback. JupiterBroadcasting.com/slash/contact. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you right back here next Tuesday. So, Wimpy, how long have you been going to your local lug? Is it local to you, and are you been going for a while, or is this a new thing? Uh, well, I met Popey at my local lug a long, long time ago, um, but I've been a bit absent of late, um, and I've recently started going again uh, to because I've been going to a lot of Raspberry Pi events uh, over the last year or so, and uh, I've just started going to my local lug. It's about 50 miles away. Oh, so it's a bit of a trek. Look at you converting it for us, too. That's awful That's awful nice of you. No, no, I'd have to convert it. We speak miles over here. Oh, okay, good. Well, then, so you and I are on a common language. I didn't I didn't know you guys did that. I, I thought miles was literally something that only we stuck to anymore. That's my That's education my, at work. At work. Hmm. Mm. So 50 miles is a bit of a trek, but... Was it worth it for that? The last guest at the, at the lug was the sysadmin for the Institute of Cosmology and Gravitation who built their supercomputer. And the presentation was how to build a supercomputer running on Linux, and it was brilliant. Oh, that would be cool. That is great. Hmm. I know there's a couple of so there's a couple of lugs here, but around here, but yeah. I've been to the Seattle one a little bit. Oh, I haven't been to that one. That would be probably pretty interesting. How was that? It wasn't bad. They were just kind of getting it back going when I went there. So it would be good. I'll Maybe I'll try to go up soon. The lug closest to me sort of focuses more on um, old timers and old machines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. that That's common to be fair as well. I don't I don't mind that, but I, I would love to talk to people in person about current Linux things. Mm-hmm. That would be very exciting. 
And there's probably some so you've there. Got, but... So you've got the fests and the cons for that. And the virtual lug. Yeah. And the virtual lug, of mm-hmm. course, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was something I was going to mention in the post show. Do you remember that? Yes. Oh, the poll, the backup poll. Yes. So there is a, if anybody's interested, who was that? That was, that was particularly awful. <laughs> uh, there, we have a poll going in the chat room. Uh, you saw the link. Post it again about, uh, although, you know, the problem is whenever we do these kind of polls, everybody talks about how they're their preferred backup solution isn't in there. But there is a poll going right now in the Linux Action Show subreddit about the backup solutions that people use uh, on Linux. And I would be kind of curious to know this information myself. Uh, so it's strawpoll.me if you're listening after the fact or if you're uh, not in the chat room. Strawpoll.me slash 6770789. And I will, uh, I will repost the link in the, uh, in the chat room. I'd just be curious to know what people are using. Um, Curious about that. Right now, simple tar in rsync is winning. Yeah, we, we're probably more interesting than that, guys. So, get yeah. your votes out for your preferred solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because uh, what that really means to me is people aren't probably being super pragmatic about it. They're probably rolling something together and then not watching it. But I don't know. We'll see. Uh, all right. So jbtitles.com, jbtitles.com. Now we pick we our vote. To vote. We do. Thanks for being here today, everybody. We got a great turnout in the mumba room. I love it. I'm glad I'm like back up to 100 percent health because. Wasn't sure this was going to happen today. Yeah, how was uh, how was Mr. Dominic? Did he? Uh, it's good. I think when did I he, think he did pulled he, it did out. he tell you were sick? I don't know. I don't did have you to keep ask that him. from him? No, 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 no. It's too good of a story to share. Too good of a story to share. Uh, w- really, Wimpy? I haven't been keeping track. Really? Yep. Happy Lupversary, sir. Today? But, oh, Lupversary. Very good. Yes. Well, uh, as near as it's the closest one. So wow. Fourth of Feb- fourth I can't believe of the show's that old. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad you've been here. It's been very nice. Yeah, I uh, I can't – there's a lot of – so many interesting things have happened in that two years. So many interesting things that you've been involved in and that we've been covering. Yeah. What a couple of two years. It's been a great two years for the show. You know, I tell you, I – Well, it was it, – it's, it's not much older than that. I think it's about two and a half years old, yeah. show, isn't it? Yeah. I tell you, I really am not very good about these things because I think if I think about it too much, it would overwhelm me. I just double down and I just go for it. Um, in fact, I, mean, I think the, the next like three shows are more than enough for you to be handling. Yeah, lots. but every now and then, like when I stop and think, "Geez, last ten years, wow, that is really a long time to be doing something." Uh, oh, look at that! You have it right there. The perfect li- oh, the perfect Linux laptop. You're kidding me? Are you are you joking <laughs> me? Are you joking, Wimpy? No, I haven't, I haven't put that tight. That's that's. I think that's the the one where. If you didn't back it, then it was soon after. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure. I, I, I think Libra I, 15 I think right I, here in the show notes. I think I. You're kidding me. I think I backed it in last, and then talked about it in LUP. Yeah, yeah there it is. Look at that. Oh, this has been Cora West. Cora just West. Started, I think started. An interview started about minute 37. In this show. In that show, yes. In this episode of LUP, there's an episode. There's an interview with who? Um, with Todd at minute 37. There's an interview. All right. Okay. Hold on. All right. Let's go see if I can find this because. Uh, no way, a minute 37? That's like right, 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 right off, the, off the... No, the 37th minute. Oh, 37. I was like, that's like almost during the intro. I was like, damn, I started talking to him right away. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, okay. Let's take a look at this. This is really... No way. Well, let's welcome Todd on the show. Uh, yeah. Todd is from Purism, and they are currently crowdfunding the Librem 15, <laughs> oh, a free Libre software <laughs> oh la- laptop that respects your essential freedoms, and uh, I've crowdfunded it. Chris, it's you. currently uh, 29 days left on the crowdfunding... Do I sound younger? Is that you possible? You said you yeah. funded it. How the yeah. hell? You said you funded it. 
How, yeah, I did. How the hell do I sound so young? So uh, this is... Yeah, when did is, your voice change, Chris? I, I know. <laughs> December 2nd, 2014. I, I got I'm just going to... I got it. I got it. This is unbelievable here. I, okay. So I said I funded it. I want to back it up just a hair so I can catch any, anything more. I have the I have their crowdfunding page up, but they had raised $40,000 at the point of recording this. Well, let's welcome Todd on the show. Uh, yeah. Todd is from Purism, and they are currently crowdfunding the Librem 15 a free Libre software la- a laptop that respects your essential freedoms, and uh, I've crowdfunded it. It's currently uh, 29 days left on the crowdfunding effort. They've raised $41,000 with a goal of $250,000. And Todd, welcome to Linux Unplugged. Why don't you start by telling us why are you doing a crowdfunding campaign for a Linux laptop? What's the goal here? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. And um, <clears throat> so what we're doing is we are clearly crowdfunding to reach a minimum order quantity to manufacture a motherboard that has the uh, best um, free software support uh, on any laptop. So this uh, – I'll stop it there. I think you guys can listen to the rest. But I do remember that being one of his specific arguments is that they had a custom motherboard. And he Am I mentioned too late that- to back it? <laughs> I like your in I'm interested. Yeah. In the time that you have been waiting for that, you have gotten old. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Who said <Ouch>. that? Uh, <laughs> very good. <laughs>